We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Delato, and it's exciting tonight. We're coming to you after day one of the 2022 NFL Draft. I can't even see straight. I can't even talk straight. I'm so excited, man, because this draft worked out, at least on day one, as perfectly as I myself could have envisioned. Nick didn't go ahead and put out a big board today. I wanted him to, but he didn't, and that's okay. Nick does his own. He Nick, uh, what, what do they call it? He's, he walks to the beat of his own drummer he that's not the term he does something he strums to the beat of his own drummer and he's like i'm not doing a big board on twitter screw you guys i don't need i don't need that attention i don't care about it i'm not a gaugement farmer and neither am i by the way i wasn't doing it for that reason i wanted to get it out there because i have talked in the past about my big boards and i wanted proof and for me i had evan neal one and gave on two those were my two favorite players in this class. I thought those were the two best prospects in this class. I thought they had the best combination of floor and ceiling. And then I saw Gardner three. And the Giants landed both of them. So I can't be more excited than that. And in addition to all of that, we go back to the Ron Schneier. Shout out my pops. School of stop drafting receivers. Stop drafting those guys on the outside. Build from the inside out. Build through the trenches. Get your quarterback. Get your trenches. And that's how you build a winning football team. That's where it all starts, in the trenches. And that's what the Giants did tonight. They got two of the best trench players in this entire class. So, holy shit, Nick, are you as excited as I am? I am so excited, Dan. And if I were to put out a big board, it would have read, like, Evan Neal, probably Sauce Gardner, and then Kayvon Thibodeau. So I am ecstatic at the fact that they were able to land Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau here. Now, the cornerback, that's another question mark that may be addressed a little bit later. But they have a real legit pass rusher. And Dan, we have spoken pretty extensively about Wink Martindale's proclivity to prefer 
cornerbacks over pass rushers. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want these pass rushers who are going to win one-on-one. And you want to talk about a pass rusher with an elite first step who can still develop a more advanced pass rushing plan, meaning he's going to have a lot more upside than what we already saw, which was already terrific. That's Kayvon Thibodeau, Dan. Pretty damn excited about it. And Evan Neal, you know I love that dude. Oh, yeah, I know you love that dude, too. And we're going to talk a lot about Evan Neal. We're going to talk about Kayvon Thibodeau. I want to first talk about Sauce Gardner, who went fourth overall to the Jets, and Derek Stingley, who went third overall to the Houston Texans. Two pretty big, well, I would say one big surprise, Derek Stingley in number three. Now, it wasn't a big surprise if you listened to our podcast with Eric Crocker, the former NFL defensive back, who had him as the number one corner in this class. It wasn't a big surprise if you listened to our podcast with uh, Tampa Trey. Why am I blanking on his name? I, this isn't such a long process. I'm missing names now. Trevor Sikama. Trevor Sikama. My boy from PFF. Jeez, we just did that two days ago. This is embarrassing. Trevor Sikama from PFF, who had him as his number one overall player. Not number one corner, number one overall player. And so a lot of people like the upside with Stingley. There is the uncertainty with Stingley when it comes to the injuries. But the Texans didn't care. And it's weird because Lovey Smith is there and he's running cover too. Like he's just running a straight up cover two defense from the 90s. Like it's going to work, which it's not. So I don't really understand the pick, but it's helpful for the Giants because to be fair, while me and Nick were like, eh, we'll be okay with Stingley at seven or five. And eh, we'll be okay with Cross at seven or five. We didn't really want Cross or Stingley if we didn't have to. Like if the ported fell to the Giants and it was Cross and Stingley, there is no way we're as excited as we are right now with Thibodeau and Neal. So my question for you is, do you think the Giants would have taken Gardner or Thibodeau if both were on the board at five? What would be your guess there? I think they would have still went Thibodeau. I think they really wanted Thibodeau, and that's why they were putting those those feelers out there with Todd McShay and everything and kind of like saying, yeah, the, the interview went terribly, you know, put that out there, which is something we did not see. And I tweeted this. We did not see that from the last regime at all, Dan, or the Jerry Reese regime. We did not see any of those. People seem to know all around the NFL what the New York Giants wanted to do. And there were smoke screens here where I think the Giants actually really loved Kayvon Thibodeau. I think with Sauce Gardner, though, Dan, it might have been a little bit different. I think they would have had a real decision there to make between Sauce Gardner and Kayvon Thibodeau. But with Derek Stingley, I think they might have still went with Kayvon Thibodeau. And you know what? I love the fact that they got this swag-laden dude here in New York. Yeah, I think they would have gone with Thibodeau too. And I think what you said is really important here. This is a different regime. Things have changed. They literally put out a fake smokescreen there to Todd McShay, who's a big-time name and his – you know, his words carry weight. Not only do people respect him because he's a big name in the community, he works for the four letter company. And that means that anything that he puts out is going to get circulated and retweeted and recirculated. And people are going to write re stories off of that. That's what half these sites used to do. The, the, why the, the, you know, the, the wire sites and all that crap. They're going to say, Todd McShay says this and this and this, and it gets out there and it gets out there. They had this horrific interview with the giants. Then we find out from both Shane and Thibodeau tonight it was an incredible interview. I mean, Shane took him out to dinner and actually something, you know, Shane talked about they went to a Korean barbecue place. And apparently, according to Shane, he had never been to Korean barbecue before in his life. What a wild statement by Joe Shane to make, by the way. I mean, I guess he's got to get used to living in New York City as some of the best Korean part. Wait, have you never been to a Korean barbecue place, Nick? I have Jesus never been to a Christ. Korean barbecue place. Jesus Dan, Christ, Nick, you lived in New, the New York, New Jersey area. You never went to a you never went to a Korean barbecue in New York City. No, I never have. Oh my yeah. God, I'm not happy about it. I'm not. I'm just want to hear something. Right by the way, do you understand that a Korean barbecue place actually fits your lifestyle? 
Because look, it's mostly just meat. It's meat and vegetables. You put it on the grill, you cook it yourself. There's some sauce involved. That's probably not going to be up your alley. It's probably some sugar-based sauces. But look, you can cook the, you cook the meat, you cook the vegetables. This is right up your alley. Go there after a leg day and you fire away 150 grams of protein into your body with very little anything but fat. And you, I don't think you're even that anti-fat. You're just anti-carbs and sugar. So look, man, you got to get yourself – now you're in Phoenix, so that's it. You're not. There's no Korean barbecue out there. I, even if there was, I wouldn't step foot in that place. But look, Shane had <laughs> never been there, and Thibodeau took him out. But something interesting I actually found, Nick, was that Thibodeau actually said he got a chance to bring Shane to his house, and they had a meal at his house. And he got to show Shane, according to Thibodeau, quote, that I eat right. And I think that's important, too, because, look, you don't want these guys that are coming in and eating like crap a.k.a. Eddie Lacy's of the world that are firing off Chinese at 4 a.m., Chinese orders at 4 a.m., seven nights a week, and ruining their body. Your body's a temple, and that's a big thing. And I think Kip Thibodeau is t- – I don't get the – you know, the Thibodeau hate, the, the anti-Thibodeau bias, I'm just out on it. And I'm super excited here. I, I've gone back and forth, you know, sauce, Thibodeau, stingly Thibodeau, edge, corner, what do I want? I do believe in pass coverage in the NFL, but man, it's going to be fun for the Giants to have an alpha edge rusher with that kind of get off, which I thought was, in my opinion, from just watching with my blind eye test, Nick. And I trust you more. I trust the guys who do who know this more. But from my eye test, I thought he had the best get off in this entire class, the burst off the line of scrimmage. And I haven't seen the Giants have a player like that in a long time. So I'm really excited. The only players that would really rival his get off. I would say is probably Arnold Ebiketti and, and Nick Benito and maybe David Ajabo, but these are all Benito, guys, yeah. guys who are lighter and maybe Mafe when everything's clicking, but Kayvon Thibodeau was a much more developed player than Boye Mafe is. He's a much more consistent player and he was on the field a lot more than Boye Mafe is. And we say that while acknowledging the fact that Kayvon Thibodeau can still probably get to that second move, that counter move a little bit quicker. He's a power-based type of rusher who has an elite first step. You don't really see that kind of thing working in conjunction with each other all that often. And what I mean by that is you can see, Dan, when he wants to run through somebody and turn that outside shoulder and use power and engage both of his hands on the breastplate of an offensive tackle, he can do that. And he can sink his center of gravity and use leverage to win at the point of attack to set up a secondary move. I just felt like it took a little bit to get to that secondary move. But if he wants to use speed, dude, he can blow around the guy. He has a really quick first three steps. I feel like maybe he struggles a little bit to bend through contact when the tackle meets him up the pass rushing arc and is a little bit disciplined with his hips. I felt like there were times where he would fall in 2021 at the top of the arc. But I don't think he's George Karloftis out there in the terms of a lack of bend. I just don't think it's elite like some of these other guys in the draft class, which is fine. He can drop into coverage. He can play the run. And I still feel like if he develops a more advanced pass rushing plan, You're talking about someone who is elite, and that's why we were discussing him as the consensus number one pick, you know, what, six, seven months ago. So I just think the upside here is there. Everything about this pick screams it could be a home run if everything is clicking with Kayvon Thibodeau, which I don't think it's not. You know, that's like a narrative that was circulating. Dan, you and I talked about it on the podcast, bro. What film did we see that said, you know what, this guy doesn't really care. Yeah, this guy doesn't care. I saw that guy running around the field everywhere. Now, Daniel Jeremiah's the world have more access to film than us. That's all well and good. And maybe there is some film out there of that. But from everything that I've seen, I did not see a dude who didn't care. Yeah, I'm totally with you. And so let me ask you a question that was posed to Kayvon Thibodeau during the Giants media Q&A session. First, I'll, I'll read the question to you. Then I'm going to ask you for your how you would answer the question, seeing the film you've watched, Thibodeau. Then I'll give you his answer. Okay, 
<laughs> so the question for Thibodeau was this, and this was my favorite thing from tonight. I couldn't have been happier than when I read this question <laughs> when I saw this in the in the Giants QQ, uh, sorry, media Q&A. They said, look, we've heard you're one of the better pastors. And I don't know who said this, by the way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if it's somebody who I like and who we like. On this <laughs> so Hopefully I don't it is what it is. Her. It's a long draft season. It's a long <laughs> draft night. Maybe you're not at your best at that moment. It's totally fine. They said it's been said, which is also a stupid way, in my opinion, to, to, to say a question like it's been said. You should know this, that you're probably the best edge rusher in this draft. How are you against the run? So give me your answer on how Thibodeau is against the run. And then I'll give you. My answer, and then I'll give you his answer. I think Kayvon Thibodeau was really good against the run. I think so many teams paid him so much attention. There were times, and this is a pass rushing kind of an answer right here, but I'll get to the run in a second. There were times where they would, where teams, opposing teams, UCLA would use six-man protections against him, and three of them would go to Kayvon Thibodeau. Like, that's not a lie. Like, that's happened several times on film. It's, it's wild. But in terms of against the run, I feel like he plays with excellent leverage. I think his arms, let me pull up his arm length. I think it's like 33 and one-eighth, so only a shade over 33 inches. I thought his arms were almost like 35 inches. It seems like he has longer arms just because he's so good at sinking his ass low to the ground, low hips, wins in the NFL and then locking opposing players out with long arms and playing that peekaboo game where he's looking to the left, he's looking to his right and he's finding the ball carrier. I felt like there were times where he would get a little bit greedy, which this is very, very, very correctable. And he would try to close the B gap when he thought the running back was going in the B gap. And then the running back would bounce outside. And that was problematic because Kayvon was actually the contained defender. That's not something that is a huge glaring hole in his game that can easily be protected it was more he was just trying to get a tackle for a loss when he could have just you know allowed for the one yard gain and made the tackle very very correctable not concerned about that at all but in terms of him holding up at the point of attack he's power based player man he has all of that he has strong hands he can stack and shed i love the fact that he can do all of those things and i think he's going to be able to do it at the nfl level he can offer so many different things what's your answer with that though I mean, you 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 always do it great here, Nick, and so I don't have anything too much more to add to that from my personal opinion from the tape I watched and what we studied. And he was one of our first draft profiles, by the way. If you remember back after we did that, I was like, I think this dude is going to be my favorite player in this class. And ultimately, I landed on Neil as my number one on the Giants-specific big board just because of need factored in there. And I still really love Neil ceiling. We're going to get to Neil. But this, to me, is the guy who I think has the best combination of ceiling and floor, mostly because of the lean on ceiling. And as far as that goes, I thought he was great against the run. I think he can set the edge. He's not Jermaine Johnson setting the edge. He's not the same kind of athlete as – I'm sorry, same build as Jermaine Johnson. He's a better athlete. He's not the same build. So, therefore, he's not going to be as good as setting the edge. But some of the things he does on film, when you watch him chase down backside runs, that's the stuff where, A, the effort comes into question. When you when you when when people start to question the effort, I'm like, just watch this tape, okay? Like, watch him chase down these backside runs. And the plays he can make as a run defender in space is where I really think he has a little edge over some of the guys as well. So I think he's a very good run defender, and I, I don't get that at all. And, and here's what his answer was, Nick. This is the quote of the night. He said, you've got to watch the tape. Just awesome. I love when players say you got to watch the tape to these guys. It's like, it's like, it's like, am I going to really answer this ridiculous question to you to somebody who probably hasn't watched a single minute of tape? And even if you did, you wouldn't even know what you were looking for. Like, he doesn't need to justify himself as a run defender to someone who doesn't watch him on film. I like, what does he care? And that's, I just loved it. I love the swag there. And people say that's a bad thing. Maybe uh, not to me. Yeah, the swag is definitely there. And that's something that I love. And the thing about Kayvon Thibodeau and how he plays the run or even when he's pressuring 
the the passer. Like I said, he's power based. He has that first step, but he also knows when to go inside and use inside counter moves yeah. to attack inside. So you can keep using that power, and that's going to force these tackles to sit back on their hips and sit back on their hips. Then you use speed around the edge. They can't sit back on their hips too much because then they're not going to be able to lift that outside leg and account for the speed that he can use outside. But then he has the inside counter move, man. He puts that outside foot in the ground, explodes off of it, and goes inside. That tackle is going to need to redistribute his weight and try to get back inside if there's no inside guard help. So if you can isolate a tackle against Kayvon Thibodeau on an island, he can hit you with three different things and win. And that's still without a really pronounced pass rushing plan. And we talked about on the podcast, Dan, how he flashed that coffee house type of fake spin move. I can't remember which team it was against, but I'll, I'll pull it up. I think later. It was the UCLA game. It might have been the right. UCLA game, but like oh, no, no, the that, UCLA game was the ghost, the ghost move, the ghost pass. Right? Yeah, the ghost technique where he flashed the inside stab move, which he, that's another thing, man. He has a long arm move that's really, really dangerous. Really Remember, nice. One arm is longer than two arms, so you flash <laughs> that long arm move. You use it a bunch of different times, Dan, and then you go and you flash it. And what's that? What's that tackle going to do? He's going to sink his weight. Wait for that power yep. move, right? Instead, you drop that arm and then you dip the inside shoulder right around his outside shoulder and use that speed that you do have and the functional bend. Again, don't think the bend is elite, but the functional bend to bend the corner, get your hips oriented into the pocket and hit the quarterback. You're getting sacks that way, man. And that's ugh, man. I, I just I just think about Kayvon Thibodeau in that light. And I also to go back to the, whatever that fake spin move was, the body control that he had there, the footwork that he had there. This dude is a very very composed pass rusher i'm i'm ecstatic about this draft pick and i did want a cornerback they were both off the board and i was sitting there you can ask diana bro i was like i hope it's Kayvon thibodeau or one of them tackles and it was Kayvon thibodeau and i was like you know what there's going to be a tackle available at seven so don't trade out of seven get your tackle and i'm going to be happy exactly what happened Wow. First mention of Diane on the podcast from you really, really must be breaking through. I saw you post a picture of you two on Twitter the other day. She got her shine there. So looking great, you two. But look, we talk about the pass rushing upside. And the coolest thing about it to me is, yes, he doesn't have that elite bend. He's not Von Miller. He's not Nick Benito with the bend. But you can win in a lot of in a variety of ways as a pass rusher in the NFL. But that's what excites me the most. It's that he still has a long way to go when it comes to developing a pass rush plan. But that, to me, is so much easier developed at the NFL level than the traits that he has that will translate to being a pass rusher. You can't tra teach traits to certain guys. They either have it or they don't, based on their athleticism and ba based on their build. But as far as a pass rushing plan goes, you can teach that. And one thing he talked about is when he visited the Giants at the facility. Now, the Giants have met a lot with typically Zoom meetings. Joe Shane flew out there. Joe Shane took him out there. He also came to the facility for a top 30 visit. And he talked about when he came out there, he made a relationship with Michael Strahan, all-time Hall of Fame Giants Michael Strahan. And he talked about how it's kind of already starting to feel like a mentor-mentee relationship with Strahan. And who better to learn a pass-rushing plan from than Michael Strahan? Because, look, Michael Strahan is one of the greatest defensive ends in NFL history. But he was not the most gifted athlete by any means in NFL. So he was not the most athletic guy by any means. He didn't have the greatest edge bend by any means, Michael Strahan. He didn't have all the prototypical tools and traits that you look for from a pass rusher in today's NFL, but he still managed to develop himself as one of the best defensive ends in NFL history. And so I think there's no one better to learn from than Strahan. Not to mention Strahan, like Kayvon Thibodeau is somebody who is really focused on things outside of football. And I don't mean that as a slight, he understands his brand. What player has retired from the NFL and had a more successful career than Michael Strahan too? 
That's a great point, too, because you know he's interested in those kind of things, and that's not a bad thing. I'm with you. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, and the thing is, Michael Strahan had those interests before he retired, and he still was a dog on the football field and the consummate professional that you wanted in your locker room. I see a lot of similarities between those two. Michael Strahan, he also had a little bit of swag. He had a chip on his shoulder. Same with Kayvon Thibodeau, so I kind of like that marriage between the two. Me too, for sure. And we've talked about his pass rushing plan, his pass rushing upside, his run defense. Talk a little bit about his athleticism while dropping as a drop defender because they asked him about it. And, you know, Joe Shane made mention of it today. Brian Dable, Dabes made mention of it. Wink Martindale's defense is really versatile and it's really multiple. And they're going to ask him at times to drop. He's going to drop in coverage at times. And this is something we talked about in the profile. And just a shout out and just a reminder to anybody. We did a draft profile on Kayvon Thibodeau a while ago, maybe like two months ago at this point. It was one of our first ones. So if you want a more in-depth uh, kind of profile type podcast, go check that out. It's still on the feed. But one thing we talked about within that podcast was that we liked the few reps that we saw of Kayvon Thibodeau dropping in coverage, getting his hands in passing lanes, you know, being an active pass defender with really good athleticism and the ability to kind of flip his hips and move backwards and move laterally. And so I'm actually excited about him from that standpoint, because if you got a Jermaine Johnson in here, I would have question marks about his ability to do something like that. If Jermaine Johnson was the pick at seven, let's say, and obviously he fell all the way to the Jets where they took him. But even a player like Kayvon or Trayvon Walker, like I would also have some questions about his ability to do that. They'd probably be like, oh, we'll line him up inside sometimes. That doesn't mean he can do the things that you want from the edge, including dropping coverage and be that kind of defender. So do you feel like Thibodeau will be a nice transition there for the Giants? I feel like Thibodeau can do that. You probably more ideally want him to be rushing the passer, but you are your defense and your philosophy is predicated on deception. So there are going to be times where he's aligned on the line of scrimmage. There was a play against Fresno State that I remember where he was aligned on the line of scrimmage. It was a empty set and he was to the weak side of the empty set and he dropped in the coverage, man. And he flipped his hips like twice, dropping in the coverage, just reading the quarterback. And there was a seam route from that, weak side. So it was from the number two receiver and he dropped underneath it, flipped his hips and then located the football and got a PBU. And that was his one PBU that he ended up having in 2021. I think it's something that he can do and he's fluid enough in space to be able to move and to flip his hips and to sink his weight and to kind of click and close on, on routes that are underneath him. I think he can do that. But again, He's more so of a pass rusher. He's more so of a run defender. But I think he's more apt to do that than, say, a Jermaine Johnson or even a Trayvon Walker. Granted, Trayvon Walker, different kind of body type. Same with Jermaine Johnson. But still, I definitely think it's going to be an element that will be utilized by Wink Martindale. And it's a necessary element of Wink Martindale as well. One thing I was wondering while we while this draft was going on, should we kind of – we didn't really – I don't know if we didn't see this coming because we thought this was a possibility. But should we have been more cued in and teed into this possibility given – what Brandon Bean and Joe Shane did in Buffalo, right? Like they drafted a ton of edges. They drafted a ton of D linemen. They drafted the the kid Rousseau. They drafted Basham. They drafted uh, the D tackle earlier in their career for the kid from, I'm uh, forgetting his name now too. That my memory is really, what, what's the inside interior guy they have? The D tackle at all. Yeah. Should we have been more cued into them? You know, we our whole focus this whole time was, oh, it's Wink Martindale. Oh, it's Wink Martindale. Wink Martindale wants corners. Wink Martindale doesn't need pass rushers. But Joe Shane is the GM here. And Joe Shane clearly believes in building through the trenches. For me personally, and the way I brought this up a couple of podcasts ago, and I stand by it too, even though they still went with edge, the infrastructure was in place in the secondary for the Bills to attack the edge position and attack the defensive line. And I think the Giants have solid pieces in their secondary. 
specifically Xavier McKinney, excellent piece. Adoree Jackson for the next couple of years. That's nice. You know, Aaron Robinson, I like that. But other than that, I still think they could use some cornerbacks. And that's right. why I think they probably, or maybe, I have no inside information, would have went with a Sauce Gardner over maybe a Kayvon Thibodeau. But that's not the way it ended up happening. Because remember when Joe Shane and Brendan Bean, they took over from Doug Whaley, who was fired right after the 2017 draft, a very, very unique situation. They just drafted Trey White out of LSU. They just signed Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. So they had two starting safeties they acquired in free agency and a lockdown cornerback that they got at LSU in the back end of the first round. Giants aren't really necessarily, they don't have that anatomy right now on defense. They have the safety in place, and I still think they could attack a safety at 36, but we'll talk about that on another podcast. So that's one thing. I think the the cornerback position is becoming a pressing need, but that does not take away from the fact that the Giants selected an excellent player here at number five in Kayvon Thibodeau. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, without a doubt. You know what's so funny? Like 11 months ago, 12 months ago, Nick, we right around this time, but like after the draft, we were like talking about the two first round picks. I think on the podcast, we were like some guys that we were on Kayvon Thibodeau. Oh, we'll never have a chance to get him though, unless we have the number one overall pick, right? Like we have no shot to get him. Remember the Chase Young, like you need like the second or first pick for this. And it's just crazy how it all came full circle. And the Giants were able to draft Kayvon Thibodeau. Just to throw a few things out here, accolades wise, he was a three year starter. He came in as a 
five-star recruit, first team all Pac-12 all three years, won the 2020 Morris Trophy, landed both the 2020 and 2021 All-American squads. Uh, as far as PFF grading wise goes, I believe he had an 85.6 PFF grade, number one among Pac-12 edges, 90.6 pass rush grade, number one among past, uh, Pac-12, 20.3 pass rush win rate, which is a really important statistic. And one reason I really think Jermaine Johnson dropped because he really didn't have an excellent pass rush win rate. He wasn't really good on a per pressure per snap basis. He was number one in that too, gave on Thibodeau. This is a real live blue chip edge of the Giants got and these are rare to find in draft classes you don't get them often this draft class seemed to have a lot of them though I wonder how many will ultimately end up being blue chips I think Kayvon Thibodeau has the best chance of this entire class obviously I've said it already as I ranked him number two on my big board but I think he's the best chance of this class to reach that potential some people would say Aiden Hutchinson maybe they both end up being that but this is not like not every class is like this right last year nothing Two years ago, it was Chase Young and nothing. And, you know, you go through these classes, and it's really tough to find these edges anywhere but within that top five, top ten range, and then not every class has them. So I'm really excited from that standpoint, from the position scarcity standpoint and from the positional value standpoint, this type of pick. And you can just go through, man. You can see the YouTube video I put up on Big Blue View. Go listen to the podcast, the draft profile breakdown that Dan was mentioning before on Kayvon Thibodeau that was released a couple months ago. You think about Kayvon Thibodeau, and you go through his 2020 film, you can see that first step popping off, dude. He had this rep against Elijah Vera Tucker. Remember, Elijah Vera Tucker played tackle at USC that final year. And you could see how he was aligned in a wide nine. Elijah Vera Tucker thought that, you know, I can jump set him. And Elijah Vera Tucker attempts to jump set him. And guess what? He realized quickly he could not jump set Kayvon Thibodeau. And then he had to totally flip his hips. Kayvon Thibodeau just presses through the outside shoulder and sacks the quarterback. This is something that can happen at the NFL. If these offensive tackles, like, yeah, this rookie, yeah, he he's quick, but I think I can jump set him. I don't have to go into my vertical set and cut that angle off. And then they go to jump set him. And they realize his speed is a little bit too much. I think he has the power to press that outside shoulder. And those, like I brought up a little bit earlier, man, all of those traits collectively within one prospect who can also drop into coverage and is fluid enough to move in that while being a good run defender, excellent, bro. And not to mention, they address the offensive tackle position, which is a great segue. Yeah, and it's interesting because both of us said at least, well, no, no, there's still more to talk about with Thibodeau. It is a good segue, but there's still more I want to talk about with Thibodeau. There's a lot to talk about with this pick. But what's interesting to me, Nick, is – I don't know if you meant it when you said it up top, but I definitely meant it. So I'll, I'll, you can clarify if you're not. But when we talked about our big board, you said if I would have done a big board, you would add Neil and then potentially uh, Sauce and potentially Thibodeau. I had Thibodeau over Hutchinson, and I would have drafted Thibodeau over Hutchinson 10 out of 10 times. If I was ever a GM, I would never take Hutchinson over Thibodeau. And what's interesting is when you call out that 2020 film, which was there, and kind of just the hype that had come this past year based on what he put on 2020, Aiden Hutchinson wasn't even talked about as a day two pick before this past season. And he jumped out onto the scene, right? And so I just think that body of work there that no one, no one really talked about this, how the body of work there was more consistent. And there's a larger sample size of dominance with Kayvon Thibodeau than really any edge in this class. Certainly more than uh, Trayvon Walker, certainly more than Aiden Hutchinson and more and, you know, more than Jermaine Johnson as well. I think Aiden Hutchinson would have been a safer pick. And if I released a big board, I probably would have had Aiden Hutchinson over Kayvon Thibodeau. I was kind of going with guys that I thought would be available at five where I didn't never really considered Aiden Hutchinson to be there. But that doesn't mean that Aiden Hutchinson is a far superior player than Kayvon Thibodeau. I think Aiden Hutchinson is a technician 
with his hands. I think Kayvon Thibodeau can get there. It's just not something we necessarily saw quite yet. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is a longer athlete, which is very, very important. Remember, Aiden Hutchinson, I think he has like 31 and a little bit plus uh, arm length, which is not all that great. And he was still selected second overall. But don't mince my words, man. I mean, I'm ecstatic at the fact that they got Kayvon Thibodeau at this spot. Yeah, just interesting with the body of work thing and kind of how Hutchinson jumped on the screen. Just something to think about. A few other things I wanted to talk about when it comes to Kayvon Thibodeau. Joe Shane said, one, he thought there was a big drop-off on the at the edge position after Thibodeau. So that kind of shows you they probably weren't in the market for Jermaine Johnson if the draft had fallen a different way. They didn't feel like that he was on the same level as Kayvon Thibodeau or, you know, George Kaloftis for that matter, since he went a few picks later to the Chiefs. Joe Shane also said, the thought of getting both Thibodeau in there with disease on the other side of the pass rush is important to us. Two wrong, two, we got two young, talented pass rushers on this team. We're definitely excited about. So I thought it was interesting, Nick, that he name dropped Aziz Ojolari. It's clear the Giants are very excited about Aziz, who came into voluntary OTAs last week looking pretty damn rocked up. Like it looked like the dude put on <laughs> at least 10 pounds of pure muscle. And what I really like about Aziz, he's just 21 years old. Kayvon Thibodeau also just 21 years old. These dudes are super young. They could still develop not only into their body as athletes, they could they could grow into their body in a different way, like that's the less time to develop, but also just their general ability as pass rushers. You want to know something that's interesting, Dan? And I kind of want to pose this question yeah. to you. If Aziz Ojolari stayed in school, which he was, what, a redshirt sophomore when he came out, he could have realistically stayed in school and helped Georgia win a national title. Where would he be thought of among that Georgia just loaded class with Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker and Lewis Seen and Quay Walker and all those guys who were already off the board. And then he's still got Nicobe Dean, Devontae Wyatt, another one who's off the board. I wonder where he would have been thought of and if he would have been selected a little bit higher than when he went last year. Well, I think a lot of it had to do with the like injury concerns that dropped the Zizo Jolari, that the whole concerns that, you know, the Giants had no concerns with they didn't pop up at all in year one. They're they're thought to be maybe like a long-term thing, right, Nick? But we won't know about that yet. And I, I'm not too concerned about that. The Giants said their doctors checked it out. I always feel like when this stuff happens, there's like some well, we'll talk about this in a moment because there was some injury concerns with Evan Neal that Joe Shane touched on, and he kind of went into the specifics of it, which I've never really heard a GM do, talking about the doctors and the, you know, the percentage of teams that had an issue with him and the percentage of teams that didn't, which I thought was super interesting again. But we'll get into that. But it's a good question. Assuming those concerns weren't there, let's say, so much would change because they don't have – like if they had Aziz on that defense too, someone's losing snaps in a big way. Like you can't get all – probably Channing Dindle, I guess, but like you can't get all those guys on the field at once. No, you can't. And I know the injury issue was one big reason why, but I feel like when you think of George's defense this year, it's much different than how we thought of George's defense last sure. year, despite the fact that George's defense was still really good last year. But now they're a national championship winning defense. He would have been another year older, another leader on that defense. It's just one of those things I thought about, and I was just like, hmm, I wonder where he would have been slated in this draft class with all these other edge rushers as well who are really really talented this is more of, as you said earlier a loaded edge class than even last year or even the year before and i just think back to that last draft you were so high on aziz ojalari like you were fine taking him with that first round pick i remember uh just based on your own evaluations of him and so that makes me so excited when i think about we had a guy you evaluated as a potential top 11 pick last year and we got Thibodeau, who i have no reservations on i'm a big fan of and, and that leaves it's just really exciting to think about. 
It is, man. And that puts Quincy Roche in a spot where it's not like you have to put the burden of being a starting right. edge player on his shoulders. You can use him situationally. And as we've said so many times on this podcast, man, Wink Martindale is going to use every defensive player he has at his disposal. That's not something that you could say about Patrick Graham. And I love Patrick Graham, and it's no slight on Patrick Graham. But every time they put Nate Ebner on the field, and this is also because Joe Judge wanted these special teams players, we would all look at each other like, nah. No, nah, no, nah, son. We don't want this guy out there. <laughs> like, no. But I feel like Wink Martindale, if you're going to be a defensive player on this roster, you're going to be used in a certain package. We had Ken McCusick on this show who covers the Baltimore Ravens, and he spoke extensively about the package and personnel usage of Wink Martindale and how he wants to use everybody on the roster. And getting more pass rushers allows you to do more diverse things. And at Kayvon Thibodeau, he's going to allow you to do whatever the heck you want, which will allow Quincy Roche to have a little bit more freedom as a third pass rusher rather than the second. Yeah, you said it best there, Nick. And I want to talk about a few other interesting quotes on Thibodeau before we move on to Evan Neal from Joe Shane. The first one was that, and this is something Dave's also added. By the way, I'm calling him Dave's now because not only do the Giants call him Dave's, I have Apparently, according to some people on Twitter, I have some issues pronouncing Dable. So I'm just going to just totally get rid of those issues by calling it, Dable. I think you just nailed it. I think it. I just nailed it, but then I'll come back with it randomly and I'll just miss it. So I'm just going to call him Dabes from this point. A lot of people call him that, so I'm good with it. So according to both Jade and Dabes, they said that they got to know Thibodeau and spent more time with Thibodeau than any player in this class. That, to me, is super interesting, not only because – we heard the complete opposite from the media and Don McShay and everyone, but also because it goes to show like they put in the work on him. They are so confident in what he can be. And they said they really liked the personality. And, and in addition to liking the player, the personality is a big thing here. They liked it. They believe in it. They don't buy into the bullshit off field concerns. Which I don't buy into either, by the way, if this guy's confident and wants to be the best and is a hard worker, which is everything we've heard. That's going to, I actually, again, I've said it before, Nick, I feel like I said it on the profile pod and I'll say it again because I truly believe in it. I think it's a good thing. I really do believe that this is a good thing that he has this kind of big personality because I'm a big believer in the, the best players in any sport are the ones who want to be the best. They're not the people who have other interests and other careers and other things in mind. Look, I fell for that a bit with Josh Rosen, who a lot of people said one reason they didn't like Rosen is because he had other, you know, other interests off the football field. I don't want that. I want somebody who lives, breathes, and sleeps football. And that's what Thibodeau does. And Shane also said something really interesting, Nick, that I thought was a great counter to anyone who says, oh, this guy is, uh, you know, is, doesn't always give effort or has effort concerns or doesn't always want it or doesn't always want to be the best. He said, think about this, Shane said. He worked his way back last year from a really nasty, really serious ankle injury. And a lot of people with his draft status and his draft stock could have hung it up and said, eh, we'll call it a season. I'm not going to play anymore. There's no point to this. But he fought back. And Chain said, we talked to several people at Oregon. And they talked about the way he worked his way back and the way he practiced to come back from that serious ankle injury. And a lot of people he talked to said he didn't really necessarily have to do that, but he did it anyway. Yeah, I love that, to be honest. He could have rested and done whatever he wanted to do. He still would have been a top 10 pick. Everybody was talking about him in that light. But instead, he wanted to try and attempt to have the Oregon Ducks win the Pac-12 championship. Now, they ended up losing to Utah, but he came back and he was playing on that ankle injury. And that has to be addressed specifically when his competitive toughness is being challenged. There are a lot of people who actually have those concerns about Kayvon Thibodeau off the field in terms of he's more concerned about his brand. And 
we've brought it up on the podcast before. I think a lot of that stems from some of the interviews that he did. Kind of put his foot in his mouth sometimes, to be honest, specifically in the Joel Klatt interview. But you and I both said, like, that's not a major concern to us. And I've listened to interviews that he did with, like, Ray Lewis and other football players. This guy seems like he wants to be great on the football field. It's not just about his brand. He also wants to be a great football player. And I think Joe Shane recognized that as well. And you're right. They said they FaceTimed each other last weekend, which is something that's very important. They were definitely doing their due diligence in the skill set and the person of Kayvon Thibodeau. And I, not going to lie, I love the fact that he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, has a little bit of swag, has a lot of confidence. I think that's what you want in some of your defensive players. Yeah, exactly. That is what you want. And it's, again, the best players are the ones with that type of personality. You look at all of them. They all have that. They're not the people, you know, who... You don't have that personality, I guess I would say. And I'm not going to say all of the best ones, but a lot of those players are like that. And so, again, really excited about this pick. I think the Giants really knocked this out of the park. Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus, somebody who I really like his work that he does in the draft, called it one of his favorite picks of the draft. Thinks he's going to break out with the New York Giants and in that New York media. Derek Carr, I listened to him after the draft on NFL Network. He talked about, or I'm sorry, not Derek Carr, David Carr the former giant actually for a little while talked about how he used to coach against, how he once coached against Thibodeau during the high school days. He talked about how dominant of a high school player he was, but also says that he just gets, has this gut feeling. David Carr said that he needed to get to the NFL level, the highest level of competition before you can see Thibodeau's, uh, sorry, Thibodeau's full potential. Carr said, New York is going to bring out the best in him and the NFL is going to bring out the best in him. So I thought that was really interesting as well on the Thibodeau front. Um, but yeah, let's move it forward. Let's talk a little bit about the Giants' second pick and number seven overall, a player who both Nick and I had really high on our boards as our OT1. Again, I tweeted this out yesterday or two days ago, and I'm standing by it. My number one wish list for this draft was come away with Evan Neal. I thought they're going to have to do it at five. Ultimately, they got him at seven. So what are your thoughts on Evan Neal to the New York Giants? I'm very happy about Evan Neal for the Giants. That was my first pick at five, to be honest, because we know the pressing need at right tackle. It's been an issue for over a decade, it seems like. Like we said earlier on the podcast over some time of the past month was Mike Remmers. Seems like he was an excellent offensive lineman <laughs> with the New York Giants. And that says a lot because Mike Remmers, he's, he's adequate, but he's not necessarily excellent. But the Giants needed a right tackle. And I wanted Evan Neal because I feel like Evan Neal offers the perfect blend of pass blocking and run blocking. Excellent athlete, the length, the size, and the power. He doesn't have the run blocking of Ikemi Kwanu. Might not be as smooth as Charles Cross in pass protection, but he's still smooth, specifically with the size and just the massiveness of him, to be honest. So if I had to pick one player in this draft, he's not my highest ranked player, but if I had to pick one player in this draft to be a New York Giant, it was Evan Neal. And the fact that they got him at seven while landing Kayvon Thibodeau at five, that's amazing to me because now you can put him at right tackle. He has a lot of experience at right tackle, played that in 2020. 2021 he was a left tackle before that he was a guard so you can plug and play this dude really anywhere but he'll be a right tackle more than likely for the new york giants and you don't want to worry about that position now you have all of those older guys that joe shane and brian dable signed this past offseason mark lewinsky max garcia john feliciano to kind of fill the interior offensive line maybe the giants will add one on day two on day three possibly but you're talking about adding a tackle bro 
I'm, I'm pretty freaking happy that they got him. And I would have been okay with Charles Cross. I would have been okay, but definitely not nearly as happy as I am right now with Evan Neal. Well, well, we'll get to this in a moment because it was really revealing by Joe Shane. And, you know, we can get to it right now. There, we can just go in a different order here than planned. But speaking of Charles Cross, Joe Shane revealed something interesting that I didn't expect him to reveal. But he said that he had Evan Neal and Nikki Iguanu back-to-back. He did not reveal, even though it seemed like it based on his quote, he did not reveal which one he had ranked higher. He wouldn't answer that. But he did say, when they asked him, why didn't you go with Neil? He said, because Nikki Iguanu was drafted at number six overall. So what he revealed there was, this was actually a two-tackle class for the New York Giants, for Joe Shane. He did have those guys rated higher than Charles Cross. He did not have Cross up there with them. And part of the reason I think they went Thibodeau, in addition to him saying, look, they saw a big drop off at edge, was because neither Icky nor Neil was selected before Kayvon Thibodeau at five overall. I think that decision might have been a little different if the option was either take a chance and maybe only crosses there. Because the way he phrased that in his post-draft you know, presser made it seem strongly that this was a two-tackle class for Joe Shane with Evan Neal and Icky Iguanu. So with that said... Just more smoke coming, right? All the people who said the Giants love Charles Cross. Peter Schrager mocking the cross the Giants. Oh, Schrager's a New York guy. Well, guess what? They purposely leaked that crap to Schrager because they wanted people to think Charles Cross was the Giants' number one tackle on this board when ultimately, not only was he not their number one, this was a two-tackle class, and he wasn't one of the two. No, no. And I'm curious on if the Giants were to go in another direction, or the Panthers were to go in another direction at six, but it wasn't Ikemi Kwanu, it wasn't Evan Neal, if they would have went with Ikemi Kwanu. But either way, man, I'm ecstatic right here because you have somebody who can pass protect. You have someone with the experience, the versatility, strong hands, good hand usage, punch, timing, patience, can be aggressive when he wants to be aggressive, discipline with his hips, pretty smooth pass sets, I would say, especially for somebody of his size. Just needs to clean up that body control when he is run blocking. He does get overextended chest kind of outside of himself a little bit. Feet doesn't really go with his upper body sometimes, which gets him leaning and gets his balance all off kilter, which is issues that I have with Evan Neal. But that's stuff that we've brought up throughout this podcast and stuff that I do think can be corrected. And even with those deficiencies, they're not huge glaring issues within his tape. So very, very excited about this. Yeah. And just just before we get into some interesting quotes from Shane on Evan Neal, and just some interesting stuff regarding Neil. I do want to say why I had him as my OT1 and why I had him as the number one player on my big board for the Giants. I personally feel like he has the highest ceiling in this class to be the best tackle. I know some people will say Iki Iguano has the highest ceiling. And I've said in the past Iki Iguano has the highest ceiling. But as I really thought about this more and about what I want from the offensive tackle position, I feel that Evan Neal is the highest ceiling. Why is that? Well, he's six foot seven and 350. But as you saw tonight, as he walked onto that stage, he carries 350 better than any human being in the history of maybe mankind. He really doesn't look any, he doesn't look like he's an ounce of fat on him at 350. It's insane. And then you watch him do that box jump at the combine that they put up on, they put up again on NFL Network tonight. And, you know, it circulated throughout social media, it went viral. There's a 48, what is it, 48 inch box jump? Or is that, is it inch? Is that what it is? 
I'd imagine it'd be inch. If it was centimeter, it wouldn't be that impressive. Yeah, it wouldn't make sense. 48 inch box jump. But as you watch him make that box jump, it's like, holy shit. I don't even think like these, I don't, there's some corners and receivers who probably aren't getting up there like that. And it looks so smooth and it looks so natural. And I think he's going to have a little bit of that Mar, uh, that Orlando Brown Jr. to him, where he's just too long and too big to beat around the edge. Because even when he gets beat initially, he's going to be able to recover and use that length and use that size to his advantage. Now, the two concerns that I have with him and that a lot of people have with him are one, what Nick went over really well and eloquently, which is he does tend to get off balance and lunge sometimes, but I feel like that's correctable. I really do. The other is, can he ever be a dominant run blocker that I'm not so sure on? I don't think we're getting a dominant run blocker in Evan Neal, but I'm just not so sure I care about that right now. Like as long as he can execute in the run game and clean a lot, a lot of stuff you talked about up and become an adequate to pretty good run blocker. He has the capability, he has the size to do all that. And if he can couple that with dominant, with what he, you know, work on his craft, clean up the stuff in pass pro to become a near dominant pass protector, that's all I want from a player like this. That's the number one focus moving forward for the Giants, for any team in the NFL. Get pass protection on your offensive line. I already think he is uh, surpassing an adequate run blocker. This is not like elite, you know, like Ken Kwanu, he's an elite run right. blocker. And I think, I think you probably agree as well. Like adequate to me is somebody who you're like, oh, I'm kind of looking to replace this dude right here, you know? And obviously Evan Neal to, to me is, is much further surpassed that, but yeah, dude, I mean, this is also somebody who, and this is another thing that's excellent. When you think about this from like a recruiting standpoint, Kayvon Thibodeau, consensus five-star, Evan Neal, consensus five-star out of Which IMG. I'm a believer in, by the way. Yeah. Oh, of course. I man. think it's important. Oh, definitely. IMG Academy has just produced NFL talent over the last several drafts, and that's where he went. He was highly recruited. Ended up going to Alabama. Six foot seven, three hundred thirty-seven pounds, thirty-four inch arms, eighty-three inch wingspan, which is in the eighty-third percentile of all offensive linemen. I mean, he's a big dude, bro. He has all the athletic capabilities. He was number one, number one, Dan, on Bruce Feldman's freak list. Think about that list. Think about everybody in college football. Bruce Feldman, one of the most plugged-in individuals in the draft, had him as a number one dude. Why he didn't test, I'm not really 100% sure, to be honest with you. But this dude, at his size, has freak type of traits. And when you watch his film, you're like, oh, he's pretty good. <laughs> we already went over his pass protection, went over his deficiencies. So it's not just of like a Trayvon Walker where it's like we haven't seen the production. Offensive tackle, they don't produce in a quantifiable statistical type of manner. But when you just watch the film, other than pressures and stuff like that, you can see that this dude is an effective tackle. And that's very, very translatable at the next level. Yeah. And I'm almost happy that he didn't test because that might be a reason the giants were able to get him at seven overall, to be completely honest. If he tests and he tests freakishly, Maybe one of those teams in the top four decides they want him. Maybe the Panthers decide they want it. And ultimately this is the tackle I wanted most. 1,094 snaps at left tackle, 765 snaps at right tackle, 723 snaps at left guard. Joe Shane said they're going to start him at right tackle, but he said, look, this is a guy that started 40 games, including games at guard and games at left tackle. He said, knowing the versatility, yes, we're going to start by working at right tackle, but he could play left guard for us. He could play right guard for us. He could play right tackle or left tackle for us. It depends. We get injuries. Here's a guy who we can move over in a pinch if we need to. And that has value in its own right because, yeah, we felt like, you know, Icky Iguano could play right tackle, but he might be even better at guard. We felt like Charles Cross could play left tackle. Maybe we can him to right tackle. I don't think either of us felt like Charles Cross was going to step in and play guard for the Giants at any point, right? 
No, I think Iquanu had that definitely, but not really with Charles Cross. Charles Cross was a projection. It still is a projection that I'm a little concerned about. Love his pass protecting upside, his feet and all that, and his discipline hand use in terms of being a little bit too patient sometimes, not as aggressive as an Evan Neal. But yeah, I translating him to guard is not something that you would really project out of the air raid. Yeah, and now we have that kind of versatility in a player like Neil. I want to give what Brian Dayball said about God damn it, I did it again. Bro, Dave said about, I told you I wasn't going to be able to get it 100% of the time. I knew it. I was 100% sure that I was not going to get it 100% of the time. What's that quote from Anchorman? 67% of the time it works every time. Is that what it is? And then, yeah, that doesn't Black make Pan- sense. <laughs> yeah, Black, Black Panther. All right. He said, Evan has played multiple position. He's long, and it takes a guy the long route to go to the quarterback. He's got, I love that. That, that I just love that because I see that. I know exactly what he's talking about. He's got long arms. He's a big, massive man, played multiple positions. Had, and he said, and this was interesting to me, Nick. I had a lot of people down at Alabama because remember, Dave's has those Alabama connections. He used to work at Alabama. And he said, I had a lot of trust and confidence in the people I had down there because they had a lot of trust and confidence in him. And they had a lot of good things to say about him, along with Bobby Johnson and Tony Sperano, the guys that have looked at him. We just thought very, very highly of him. I love every second of it, dude. I really do. I love the fact that there were smoke screens for Charles Cross. Yeah. I love the fact that there were smoke screens against Kayvon Thibodeau. I love the fact that we didn't see that during Dave Gettleman or Jerry Reese's era. And I love the fact that they ended up going with Evan Neal. And the fact that Brian Dable has those connections as well. I mean, we talk a lot on this show about connections and how important they are. Well, Dable was there when they won the national championship just a few short years ago before he went over to Buffalo to be their offensive coordinator. Seems like he's still very, very plugged in there and they got a good player. And we'll also see if that translates to later in the draft with other Alabama recruits. Yeah, it's really interesting too to me because, you know, some people can poo-poo this and say it's not that big of a deal. But look, the Giants clearly didn't have what they needed before they made the decision to select DeAndre Baker to trade multiple picks, two draft picks on day th- – they traded a third and a fourth, I believe, to go up and their second, to go up and get DeAndre Baker. They didn't have anyone on the inside. They didn't have that. And one thing that Dave's mentioned was – We had those guys on the inside, so we were able to get to know the person. How does he treat the GAs, and how is he in the cafeteria? How is and and around the type of people that we, you know, that we want to? Is he the type of person that we want to build our program with? And Dave said he fit it to a to a T. He said you have a good football player and a good talent, but he fit that what I just said to a T. And that's so important because you don't you're taking these guys high. You can't afford to have another Baker. A Baker sets your franchise back so big. You know, you're just killing the Giants to have just burned that first round pick. It's not great. So I just like that, too, that he, you know, has has a feel for who he is as a person. Has a feel for who he is as a person. And then on the football field, we already kind of went over that extensively. And not to mention that applies to multiple different positions, which we know in the NFL is very, very important. Yep. Without a doubt. All right. Let's see what we got here. Anything else from you Um as far as these two picks go, anything else you wanted to get out there about the tackles here? Oh, one thing I did want to say, and I want to get your take on Nick. We do, I missed this. Sorry, I skipped over this. Shane revealed something I thought was pretty interesting when it comes to Evan Neal. So remember before the draft, we heard some concerns that started to crop up. I think Tony Pauline was the guy who did it or somebody, one of those guys, said that there was like some medical issues or medical concerns with Neal that could drop him. And Shane said on the medical, a lot of the times – Teams around the NFL share medical grades. And, you know, I think it was 52% of the league shared medical grades, and there was only 8% that had issues with anything regarding Evan Neal. 
He said, and circling up with that, I think that I think that was a rumor that was out there. But the majority of the teams in the league, again, he started 40, did not have that issue. Again, he started 40 games. He missed only one game because of COVID. Our medical staff did a great job. They were on it. Before any of that rumors came out, we went through all that. And they mentioned what some teams had concerns with. And our doctors looked at it, looked at those concerns, and they were fine with everything. And he said his play history backs that up. And so I have no concerns. Do you have any concerns based on what you just heard? No, I don't have any concerns. You have to trust the medical staff that the New York Giants have, which is hard to kind of say sometimes because the New York Giants seem to be the most injured <laughs> year in and year out. But in terms of this selection and Evan Neal, no, I am not concerned <laughs> about that. I feel like they got a really good football player here. Yeah, for sure. I just want a couple of things to do, to do before we wrap this up. And just, um, you know, so anybody... Just so any, so everybody knows, we're going to have an, this podcast. Pop, you're going to listen to this. Obviously, you're listening right now. We're going to do another podcast after this, which is going to talk about our day two targets for the Giants and a few other things like what day, what 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 Joe Shane mentioned about Bradbury and his potential future, and what Joe Shane mentioned about the current state of the offensive line and how that might impact their plans on day two and maybe day three of the draft, and a few other loose ends to tie up. But I do want to talk about how cool it is, Nick, and they discussed it as well. Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal. We drafted these two guys, Nick, and they're going to get to go up against each other in practice every single day. Maybe sometimes Thibodeau lines up on the other side against Andrew Thomas. That's fine. But there's going to be a ton of reps of Thibodeau against Neal. And iron sharpens iron. That's going to be so good for both of them. It's going to be so great for them. It's going to be great for Andrew Thomas, who gets to go up against Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari, because those are still very young players. There's an infusion of young talent here in the offensive and defensive front for the New York Giants. And I think that's something that we have to love, to be honest. And we still have pick 36. We have the third round picks and we have all of day three to help replenish this roster and kind of bolster the secondary, the tight end position, maybe the running back. I mean, you can go through the roster to be honest, and there's still a lot of holes, but what an excellent start to the Joe Shane and Brian Dable era here in New York. Yeah. And I think one other cool thing was, you know, and we're, we, we could talk about this now because I think it's interesting. They had a contingency plan, right? They talked about this, and we didn't mention this earlier, Nick, and I think it's interesting to mention. They had six players they really liked in this class. We had heard it before. It might have been seven. They confirmed tonight, Joe Shane, that it's six. And he said they had a contingency plan. If one of those six wasn't there at seven, and Shane said, look, I didn't get any calls to trade back at five, none. But at seven, he said he had framework for two trades in place. At seven, if one of those six guys was not there on the board, he said one of those teams called and backed out, likely because one of their, or because definitely because one of their players was still not on the board and they were waiting to see if one guy would fall to seven. I'm assuming that was Derek Stingley. It makes the most sense to me by far, or Ahmad Gardner, but most likely Derek Stingley. But he said there was another team that still had that hadn't called and canceled, and there was a framework to have a trade back in place. But they loved one of those six. And, you know, as Shane said, Brian's not kidding around. We had every single possible scenario based on how the top of the draft went. They went back and forth with it over and over and over again. And it just it's so refreshing to see a unit that's so prepared. Right. There was no debacle like the Eli Apple year where they had to panic. There was nothing like last year where they were so set on Devontae Smith. Oh, no, they don't get Devontae Smith. It worked out because they ended up getting, you know, 
the, the seventh pick out of this, which is Evan Neal, which is awesome. I'm happy about it. Neal and Tony will hopefully be as good, if not better, than Parsons or Slater. And who knows if the Giants are even going to take those, by the way. They might have reached on Tony at 11 if they didn't trade back. I am not putting that past them to not have done that. <laughs> because, look, no, it's that you, you laugh, Nick, but they were so dead set on finding a skill player and a weapon for Jones at that pick. I'm not so certain they wouldn't have just said, Let's take our guy. We we believe in our guy. They have I was proven waiting it in the past. for the Dan Schneier, Dave Gettleman voice right there. Yeah. I almost asked you to do it, and you just did it. Let's get our guy. <laughs> it's not even the right voice because it has no Boston accent inflection so whatsoever. Great. It's just my version of what I expect. Because it's just like a blowhard. This is like some guy who's just like not prepared at all. But this group is prepared. They had contingency plans in place. They had trade back possibles in place. And so look. I talked to one of our longtime listeners and followers, Kurt, who's like, isn't this kind of, um, you know, a little bit hypocritical of you to be excited about them taking Neil and Thibodeau when they could have traded back? Because you always talk about GMs not falling in love with players. I agree with that when the situation is falling in love with the Daniel Jones, right? Like a guy who pretty much consensus has a second round or maybe late first on you take him at six or, you know, another example is Saquon Barkley at two. But it's different when there's a few blue chip guys in this draft. And you have a chance to get them. And Thibodeau and Neil are legit blue chip prospects. Five-star recruits who proved it with a lot of good film and a lot of good starts and a long, large sample size of good productivity. There's not many guys like that in this class. The Giants had a chance to get two guys at their two picks. So, no, I didn't want them to trade back. And I think it is a little different than falling in love with guys because these are not like guys they are pushing up their own draft board because they think they see something the NFL doesn't see. Everyone in the NFL sees that these guys are blue chips. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's a big difference between sitting there and taking the running back at two in 2018, which is a pretty antiquated idea, and then a quarterback that a lot of people have a day two grade on at six, or sitting there getting Tavon Thibodeau, who was a consensus number one pick not too long ago, and then Evan yeah. Neal, who a lot of people had as the top tackle. I think there's a big right. difference there. I understand where he's coming from, but Dang. I don't think it's applicable to this situation. I understand where you're coming from, Kurt. I do. I totally do. But I think it's a little bit different in this scenario. And, and you know, that's just how, how I kind of see it here. One thing I thought was really interesting, was, one final thing to get to here, um, was something that Dable was referring to. So I wanted to try to, well, I want to try to play a guessing game because I thought it was fun. We can we can wrap up the podcast with this, Nick, and then we'll dive into day two stuff soon, But uh, or at least on the next podcast. But two things I thought were funny. One, or not, not funny, interesting to dive into, just kind of like a hypothetical. One, who do you think those six players were that the Giants said, you know, were in their plan, and if none of them were available, they were planning to trade back? So we know two of them were obviously Thibodeau and Neal. So who do you think the other four were? I think this gets really interesting. So I would imagine it's obviously the two that were selected. I think Iquano, just based off of the statements that we discussed before from right. Joe Shane. So that's three. And then we're looking at, what, three more players? I think it's going to be Aiden Hutchinson, Derek Stingley, and Ahmad Sauce Gardner. Maybe Trayvon Walker was out of it. I don't know, though, because they brought Trayvon Walker in, but they also brought Stingley in, if I'm not mistaken. But I think if I had to have an argument, it would be between Walker and Stingley. But I'm honestly looking at Hutch, too, and I'm like, maybe they're, I don't know, maybe they're concerned about the short arms, or I, I'm not really 100% certain. If I had to pick one, I think I'm going to go with Trayvon Walker. About you. Yeah, that's I I think I'm on board with you, Nick. I think that would be my I'm I'm leaving out Trayvon Walker, right? So we're keep we're keeping Stingley and Hutch in. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be totally shocked if Hutch was out of it. I I don't love Hutch as much as everyone else does. I didn't think he was the consensus one. And again, I would have taken Thibodeau over him if I had the choice. Um and so 
it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was out of it. But it is really interesting to think about. And then this was interesting, and we'll wrap up here. I know we've gone a little long. Dable, D- Dave said, I credit Joe and his staff, along with the other coaches, yada, yada. Everyone was putting in so much time and effort. He said, even until last week, we were watching guys in my office, Joe and myself and about eight other people for what seemed like 12 hours a day. We just watched three guys. Who do you think those three guys were? And Ooh. that could be, the, the crazy thing is that could be any round though, right? That's probably a bad question. Yeah. See, I'm not really sure. If it were these three, I think they probably watched just an absolute ton of Evan Neal, Ikemi Kwanu, and maybe yeah. even Charles Cross, to be honest. It depends on if they kind of ruled him out early or not. But the fact that they were calling Kayvon Thibodeau and they went to Kayvon Thibodeau's house and they took him out to a Korean barbecue where Joe Shane and Nick Filato share similarity and never have in Korean barbecue, <laughs> maybe Kayvon is one of those as well. So I'm going to go with, if I had to choose three, Kayvon, Iquano, and Neil. And they had a real debate between Iquano and Neil that Carolina solved for them. I think you're right. I think that's actually, I think I, I really like your take here. I think when he says they were spending all that time watching three guys, it was the three tackles. And I think that probably led them to the conclusion that they came to tonight, you know, not tonight, but the, what, what they admitted to coming to tonight, which was, look, this was a two tackle class for us. We had them pretty close. He, again, he did not reveal who was higher, Evan Neal or Iki Kwanu, but Charles Cross was not one of their guys. Like, you know, we, we were led to believe he was, but he was just simply not one of their guys. And so look, I find that really interesting. Let me wrap up with a quote here from an NFL director of pro personnel, and that's uh, via Jordan Schultz, the Schultz Report. He says, Kayvon Thibodeau is a freak talent who's made for New York. Evan Neal is a rock-solid right tackle with tons of upside. I don't think Joe Shane's first two picks in New York could have gone any better. And look, I can't possibly agree with that anymore. These first two picks could have not gone any better for Joe Shane. And, and you want to know the craziest thing about this too, Dan? Just to put this into perspective. On this podcast, we try to be as objective as possible. We might be biased because we watch the Giants and we're consumed with the New York Giants, but we try to put that into an objective framework. I have been, and I told Dan this last week, and I'm sure he probably shares similar sentiment to me. I have been disappointed by New York Giant first-round picks for probably 90, maybe 80% of the last (laughs) 10 drafts. I, I literally, Sa- Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, just go down the line. I love Saquon as a dude, but I hated that pick. Daniel Jones, I think he's functional. Hated that pick. You can ask my brother, man. You can ask anybody. I'm always the guy at the draft party. It's like, dude, he's just going to be he's just gonna be pissed. You know what I mean? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not at all here. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty yeah. freaking happy about what happened. And that is, it deviates from the norm, to be honest. Yeah, again, I completely with you, man. I haven't been this happy coming out of a first round of a Giants draft since I don't even know. I really can't even think back because I wasn't happy with Evan Ingram. So that was at 17. Talked about 18. 18 and 19 are obvious. Now we're not going to come away happy there with those reaches. 2020 was Andrew Thomas, which worked out. But at the time, I wasn't thrilled, but I was okay with it. I was fine like, Because I wanted offensive tackle so badly. And then last year, I was also kind of happy. So I, I don't want to say I've never been happy, but... I should say I haven't been as happy with the player, the players as either one, Thibodeau or Neil, as I have been in this class because I was happy with the position mostly with Thomas. And then last year, I was just happy they traded back and got a Bears first. Like I've just been waiting for the Giants to make that move for so long. Yeah, but I then love- dating back, 2016, Eli Apple, of course not. 2015, Eric Flowers, of course not. Like we're, we're, but 2014, I was thrilled with Beckham. This was a big argument with my dad. I, this was my early days, Dan Schneier scouting. I thought Odell Beckham was the number one receiver in that class over Sammy Watkins. I thought he had insane traits that translate to the next level. 
I was insanely high on Beckham. And so I was thrilled. But my dad was like, we should have taken Aaron Donald. You always go with the trenches. If not Donald, Zach Martin. And you know what? He was right. Built through the trenches. You just made your dad sound like Dave Gettleman there, though. You gave him that same exact voice. Uh, that's, Oh man, I almost feel like I have to edit this out. That's I, I, I he's gonna listen to that and he's gonna be really not happy with me. So. Ron Schneier Yikes. is not Dave Gettleman, but you know no, what? I gotta, no. I gotta speak for Mr. Schneier too, or speak uh, agreeing with him that I was kind of in the camp of Zach Martin and Aaron Donald there as well. And I wasn't like super pissed at the Odell Bank, but I was like, yeah, he has some hamstring issues. He's, he's an explosive athlete. And this was before I really started diving into the scouting, but I really liked Zach Martin. And I really loved Aaron Donald in that draft. Well, you would have been right. Cause not that, I mean, look, no, it was no, awesome. It, it was awesome. No, no, no. But yeah, you would have been, I mean, look, it was Beckham's years were awesome while they lasted, but Zach Martin's still playing for the Cowboys. And he plays, in my opinion, a more impact. I don't want to say more impactful position these days. Wide receivers become super impactful, but, I still love line and, and Aaron Donald was certainly a pick you'd rather have right at this point. Yeah, I would say so. I would say for me, 2021 with the bears, like I, I thought that was good. Cause I thought the bears would suck and they would have a top 10 yeah. pick that proved to be right. Kadarius Tony. I was, I was like, okay, let's, let's see. But I, you know, I'm not in love with no, that. We, we wanted Eli Moore there. Let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. We liked Elijah Moore. We liked Rashad Bateman. If they were yeah. going to go wide receiver, but we acknowledge the fact that Kadarius Tony, he has red flags, which I feel like have, you know, been proven since he's been in the NFL in a short tenure here, but that he does have some elite playmaking ability when he is fully dialed in. And then I did like the Andrew Thomas pick, but other than that, I really haven't liked many picks dating back to my adulthood, to be honest with you. Yeah, JPP, I was, Thomas. Was fine with. Oh, sorry. JPP. Yeah. That was amazing. I remember loving that. I was but... away for that. <laughs> I was oh. away for that. Yeah. <laughs> Even Thomas, though, you did want a player over Thomas. So it's not like this draft where you probably want to kneel. Well, you definitely want to kneel over every tackle. And you probably want to Thibodeau over everyone who's left on the board, non-tackles. I did celebrate. And you know what? Diana looked up the draft pick and she was like, <laughs> right. he didn't want to say it to me. But I was like, dude, oh. you know, I was like, oh, I'm so happy. That's one thing I'll say, dude. I am not like I posted a lot on Twitter tonight. I don't love it though, dude, man. It's a trap, dude. You go on there and the next thing you know, you're spoiled a pick and you're sitting there waiting for. Oh yeah. Days. If you want, if you don't want picks spoiled, you should not go on Twitter. There was a big discussion about that with our family group chat tonight because my brother and me were tipping picks to my dad and he was not happy about that. Cause my dad, obviously older gentleman is not using Twitter. He's just relying on the TV feed and he would, he, he wanted the, it's fun. It's fun to get the surprise. Like I don't like the tip picking really either. I wish that it wasn't even a thing. I like the surprise of listening to them announce it and being like, Oh, and hearing the first like phrase, the first syllable of that name and trying to figure out what it is just from that first syllable. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same exact way to be honest, dude. Yeah. Take, keep the surprise in the NFL draft. All right. That's all we have for right now on the Big Blue Bander podcast. Like I said, keep it locked and loaded. Look at your feed because these are coming in back to back. So we're about to come out with our day two targets. We're going to touch a little bit on round three, but let's be honest. It's harder to predict now. But obviously, at 36 overall, we're going to talk about those targets. We're also going to talk about what the Giants, what players we could be interested in the Giants drafting if they trade back a bit from 36, maybe into that 40s to 50s range because there's guys we like there and that's a little easier to figure out now than the third round pick which again is a little harder to project there's also a few other things we want to talk about joe shane's comments tonight on james bradbury joe shane's comments tonight on the offensive line and where he feels they're at with that so just a few other things we're going to touch on but keep it locked and loaded thank you so much for tuning in have a great rest of your night or morning and we'll speak to you soon
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.